Good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Joey Sedlock. I'm a member here at Sulphur Community Church. And today, uh, on Easter Sunday, I get to join you from, uh, from the beautiful Prion Lake Park and, uh, and continue our series, our, our Crushed Head and Bruised Hill series, where we are taking a trip through, through the entire Bible, right? We're dedicating the whole year to, to focusing on God's redemptive plan from, from Genesis to Revelation and, and every point in between where we're constantly scripture points us to Jesus points us away from ourselves and and back to God and back to God's plan for our life that is ultimately accomplished uh, in Jesus Christ and so today we're going to be back in the in the book of first Samuel uh, like we were last week and and this time uh, what we had last week was was kind of how Israel got a king and and David was kind of anointed wasn't kind of anointed he was anointed uh, as king and and then we saw that he just kind of went back to the pasture and and this week we're going to be in chapter 17 and it's going to be the David and Goliath story of course I know we're, we're all familiar with it we're all excited about it so let's let's go ahead and get in there first uh, Samuel uh, chapter 17 let's pray and get started uh, Heavenly Father we, we come before you today and and Lord we are we are thankful thankful to be able to be out in nature and in, in, in your beautiful creation as we are. Lord, thankful for your word, thankful for, uh, you know, the story up to this point. And, and, we, and we are thankful in expectation and knowing how the story plays out in the future, Lord. And, and I just pray that you are with us, that you, that you open eyes, that you open hearts, that you open ears. And Lord, that you move in a way that only you can. Uh, Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, and so what we have here is is the Ga the David and Goliath uh, story, right? And and a lot of us know the details, but but perhaps some of us have have missed a few uh, of of the minor details that really give way and, and point us in a direction in a, in a direction towards Jesus in this story. And so when I thought about uh, preaching David and Goliath, I was I was reminded of a couple things. The first one was. Uh, a conversation that I had with someone who had done some some missionary work in China, and um, and and she told me that that in China they operated on basically two rules: uh, don't lie and don't deny Christ. Right. So if someone asked you, like, you know, are you a Christian? You would you wouldn't lie, even though uh, even though Christianity goes through different phases of being illegal in China, you wouldn't lie about that, and you would definitely never deny Christ. And what's what was interesting about that conversation is a simple lie or a simple, no, I don't belong to Jesus, could actually save your life in many situations and, and in many different countries uh, overseas. And and I just thought, man, that would take a lot of courage. And and I kind of had to ask myself, like, I wonder if I have that kind of, of courage, right? And, and, and that conversation reminded me of a book called uh, The Fox's Book of Martyrs, where it's just stories of, of Christian martyrs who, who faced death, who faced torture, who faced horrible things, and, and all they had to do was, was deny Christ. All they had to do is what they called recant of, of their belief in Jesus, and they wouldn't have to endure uh, those horrible things, but, but they didn't. And, and a lot of them actually embraced horrific deaths because they would not deny Christ. And, and I just thought, man, that's that's courage, right? That's that's a different kind of courage than uh, than like pumping yourself up or, or, or believing a hype man or 
or getting getting a burst of adrenaline and being able to accomplish one thing, that is that is long lasting, long standing courage, right? And and the story of David and Goliath is a story that kind of revolves around courage in a way. And we're going to talk about that and and different different um, sources of courage and and whether or not they can they can stand, whether or not they can they can hold long term and, and not just be bursty. Right. And so and so we're going to pick up the story uh, really in verse four. But in, in the in the verses before that, it's just laying out the battlefield for us. Right. It's saying that that Israel lines up on one side on, on one mountain and and the Philistines, they line up on another side on another mountain. There's a valley in between them. And, and in verse four, it says, and there came out of the camp of the Philistines, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose weight was I'm sorry, whose height was was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He, had, he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin slung over his, uh, between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And so we get, we get this description of Goliath, and Goliath is huge. He is just a mammoth person and and you know of course everything in in scripture is is debated and so there's there's people out there that argue he wasn't that big he was only about six nine and I'm like only six nine that's still a tremendous human being but but if we converted these measurements the best we can it, it would actually say he was more like nine foot tall maybe eight foot nine foot tall and so he's, he's classified kind of as as a giant right and and the rest of his stuff kind of falls in line with that his uh, his coat, which weighed five thousand shekels of bronze, about one hundred and twenty five pounds. Bronze helmet, uh, big bronze shin guards, big javelin, and it says that the uh, the head of a spear was six hundred shekels of iron, and that's significant for two ways. Uh, first, that's about twenty pounds. The head of his spear was twenty pounds, and and he could wield that thing in battle, but also it was made out of iron. And this was at the very beginning of the of the Iron Age. And so what it's saying is, is uh, Goliath is not only huge, he's not only well fortified, he has the latest military technology possible. He has iron. No one, no one in Israel has iron right now. And it says that his shield bearer went out before him. And then so uh, whether or not you want to debate uh, the exact um, interpretation of these measurements, the dude is huge. That's what we walk away with. That's the key here. And, and, and this is what he said. This kind of begins the challenge that Goliath brings out to Israel in verse 8. It says, And he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why come out and draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. If I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And if you actually drop down to verse 16, it says, For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And so this is this is the challenge, right? This is what seems to create um, 
the crisis uh, that Israel is kind of in, and that is Goliath has come out and said, hey, instead of, instead of just throwing our armies against one another and, and having thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of deaths, how about I fight whoever you uh, choose, right? And at the end of that, we'll let that decide. And, and, and this is all recorded to, to kind of picture Goliath as, as the fiercest warrior imaginable with, with the best armor, the greatest weapon. And, and Saul later calls him just a man of war. He has the applause of tens of thousands. He, he, has, the, he has the hype man, right? He has the armor bearer, uh, the shield bearer. He has the hype man. And above all, it appears like he has courage, he goes out and he defies an entire nation, and he just says, anybody, anybody you have, I don't care who it is, I'll fight them, and I'm willing to put everything on the line. If I lose, our entire nation will be your servants, will be your slaves. But all of Goliath's confidence, all of Goliath's courage, if, if we look, it comes from, from earthly things. Right? It comes from his armor. It, from, it comes from his size. It comes from, from his dudes around him that are, that are hyping him up. It comes from that adrenaline rush from battle. Right? It, it, it all comes from, from earthly things. And, and the question is, is that real courage? Right? Like, with, with what Goliath has, is he protected from like a cancer diagnosis? Is he protected from the death of a loved one? Is he protected from, from his own sins and failures that, that at some point he's going to have to struggle with? And, and the answer is, is no, right? Armor isn't going to do anything. And so the question is, is that real courage? Or is there an alternative source of courage that, that this doesn't quite hit on? Though, though this is the type of courage that, that even our culture loves to to uh, personify and, and really like kind of deify and worship it is someone someone like this, someone who just doesn't look like they can be beaten, right? And then the text shifts, right? The text shifts in verse 12, and it says, now David, right? So we've set up Goliath. We set up the perfect picture of, of earthly and worldly courage. And now we're going to talk about David, right? And we're going to talk about David for a little while longer before we get to his, his source of courage, right? And it says, now David, the son of Ephrathite and uh, of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons in the days of Saul, a uh, man who was already advanced in years, right? And so this description of David is, less, is letting us know it's the same David that we talked about just last chapter, right? The son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, uh, the, the dude who has seven brothers. Remember, the seven brothers weren't chosen as king. David was. And, and here it kind of reiterates some of the same things. He was the youngest, um, and his three oldest brothers had, had gone off to battle with Saul, and, and David was, was at home feeding the sheep, being the obedient son that he had always been. Even though he was anointed king, right, he's still in the pasture. And we talked about what God can do in the pasture last week. And, and, and Jesse, who, who I guess was unimpressed with the anointing of, of his son as king, uh, he, he tells his, his son David, hey, take some bread and cheese to your brothers, right? Basically, pack these boys some sandwiches and take them lunch. 
I guess the word of the standoff between Goliath and Israel had kind of gotten back, and so the army's just kind of stagnant. It's not really fighting. And so Jesse says, hey, go and take your brothers some lunch. You know, take them some brown bag specials, a couple of cheeseburgers, some fries, and some drinks, and, and, and bring back for me a token to let me know they're okay. And David does it, right? Uh, David does it, and if we... And if we drop down uh, to, verse, to verse 20, right, it says, And David rose early in the morning, and he left the sheep with the keeper, and took the provisions, the cheese and the bread, um, uh, and went, and Jesse, as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line and shouting the war cry. And, um, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks, and the Philistines uh, spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. Right? And so David comes out, he brings him the ham and cheese, and he just so happens to get there at the same time that Goliath is coming out and, and doing his speech, as he did every morning, as he did every evening, right? And, and every single day, uh, Israel would line up with its army and, and, and the Philistines would line up with their army. And instead of, instead of going to battle like normally, the Philistines would be like, oh yeah, we got Goliath. And they would call their boy Goliath out and Israel would flee every single day for 40 days. This is what would, what would happen. And so this time, David sees what's happening, and, and, and I don't know what David thought about what his brothers were doing when they were off in battle, but it probably, a wasn't, it probably wasn't a lot of running in fear. And it says, verse 24, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, for they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And that's an interesting statement because Goliath clearly says every time he comes up, he's there to defy Israel. And Captain Obvious here is like, surely this man is here to defy Israel. And that's, that's clear by this point. And, and, and uh, the verse continues, And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and he will give him his daughter, he will make, and he will make his father's uh, house free in Israel. And so the king... Uh, King Saul, right, he has offered a reward. He has said, anybody who goes and kills this dude, I will, I, will, I will enrich him, I will give him great riches, I will give him my daughter, and his father's house will be free in Israel. And, and what that means, because this, this is a pretty lavish reward, is, is first, I'm going to make you rich, right? That's just cash money in the bank, right? I'm going to make you rich. Not only rich with just like regular riches, but like with great riches. You're going to be really Rich, and I'm going to give you my daughter. And what that would do is any man who would slay him, it would make that man royalty. He would be a part of the royal family. And not only that, but his father's house, right? His father and his extended family would be free from taxes and free from obligations to the palace. And so these rewards would set somebody up, right? They, they have nothing to worry about for the rest of their of their earthly lives. And it seems like these rewards would be big enough for someone crazy enough that you'd be like, look, I'll give it a shot. If I die, I really don't have to worry about paying taxes anymore anyway. And if I don't die and I win, then, then I'll be lavishly rich and part of the, and the royal family. 
And David, uh, starting in verse 16, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel, right? And takes away this disappointment, this disappointment of Israel, this humiliation, this disgrace from Israel. And the second question is, is far more pressing than, than the first. And the second question that David asks is, is for who is this uncircumcised Philistine, uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? And those are some pretty stout questions, right? He asked the first one, like, hey, what's going to be done for the person who kills that? And then he kind of disregards that answer, right? We got it right before David asked the question, and, and, and he moves to the more pressing question. And, and for David, it's a spiritual question because if, from David's point of view, and we're going to see that fleshed out in here in just a minute, this is a spiritual issue. This is not a military issue. This is a question of faith. He says, hold on now. I, I know this guy's big and everything, but he is out there. He's an uncircumcised Philistine, which means he's not protected by the covenants of God. He's not of the people of God. And he is out there and he is defying the armies and not just any army, but the army of the living God. He's out there and he's saying, is this not a cause for any of you jokers to get out there and fight this man? What are you doing? This is not a military issue. This is a, this is a faith issue. This is a spiritual issue. And what we're going to see is David's suspicion kind of gets confirmed through, through his brother. And like I said, we don't, we don't really know what David thought his brothers were doing or we don't really know what David thought of his brothers, but I bet he didn't think his big brother right? His big brother was out there running scared on the battlefield. And in verse 28, this is kind of what we get. It says, now Elihab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Elihab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Right. And so Elihab's response is a little bit deeper than it initially appears. Right. When he says, where have you left the sheep? He's not showing concern for the sheep. And instead, he's he's more reminding David of where Elihab thinks David should be. Right. Hey, hey, remember, uh, David, the one who keeps the sheep, the Aaron boy, the youngest, the smallest. Remember your place. You are among men here. You are among the military. This is not your problem. This is a problem for men. This is a military problem. You worry about sheep. That's what you do, buddy, because I know you're proud, and I know you're here just because you want to see the battle. You're in this all for yourself. You're not dealing with this. You're not expected to go out there. We are. And David responds in a very, very typical I think little brother fashion, right? In 29, and David said, what have I done now? And, and, and it kind of gives us a glimpse into maybe many of these types of, of uh, conversations that he had with his brothers. And he said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him the same as before. And so David says, hey, I'm just asking questions, man. Why are you getting so defensive? And that's a, that's a typical defensive response when somebody questions your specific sin, right? It's just like, well, hold on, hold on. You can't come over here and just, and just hit it perfectly, nail on the head of my sin without me retaliating, without me protecting myself, without me putting you down to make me seem more right. And David says, hey, hey, I don't know what you think I've done, but I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions that seem to be obvious 
to me. And he goes and he keeps asking questions and he just keeps getting the same answer. And the crisis here is, is kind of revealed. The crisis here is not Goliath. The crisis here is not a military crisis. It is, it is a crisis of faith where David is, is in some ways asking, don't you believe the promises of God? Don't you believe that God will fight for us? He has sent us into this land to drive the Philistines out, and, and now we're cowering in fear of the Philistines. I don't understand what's going on. Why are we not clamoring to see who gets to go out there and fight this man? Because anybody who goes, David is assuming, is going to win. Right? But the, the cowardly people of God are actually the crisis here, right? The God's, it's not God. Right, he's not the he's not the opposition. It's it, he's not the problem. He's not the obstacle. It's not God's opposition because God knows Goliath about to get hemmed up with a slingshot and a stone. Like God already knows that. We don't know that yet. It's God's own people. That's the obstacle here. Right, and it was true on that day, and it's true in our churches today. Right, like these these unbelieving believers, these these cowardly people of God are the same people that that hold back when 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 churches have bold visions right it's the it's the naysayers it's the cynics in there who 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 may genuinely believe in Christ I'm not I'm not going towards a question your salvation type thing it it is a call away uh from from these disbelieving uh believers who who are so cynical to say you can't do that that's too big god's not big enough is is kind of what they're saying and it's it's this disbelief in who god is and what god says that's that's holding israel back on this day and that holds the church back today right and so as the story progresses what we see is that david's questions they get back to king saul and and king saul may have been a little bit delighted to hear that someone is going to take this challenge, right? And, 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 and he may have been delighted to hear that because at the end of the day, when the first day that Goliath goes out and, and makes this call and defies Israel, everybody probably would have looked to Saul and been like, well, hey, bro, you're the king. You wanted to be king. And, and we saw a description of Saul where he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in, in Israel. So he's kind of Israel's giant. He's bigger than everybody else. How about Israel's giant? Just go fight uh, the Philistine giant, and, and we'll just see what happens, right? And Saul is kind of in line with his character, and, and 80 times for the past 40 days, Saul has just kind of had to deal with this cowardice. Is he's the one who's supposed to answer the call, but, but he's not. He's in his tent, and, and David shows up, and, and, and like I said, he may have been excited that someone was going to answer the call, but then he sees that it's David. And in verse 33... Really, in verse 32, David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail. Let no man's heart be discouraged is what let no man's heart fail means. It says, because of him, talking about Goliath, your servant will go. And in, and in verse 33, Saul says to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. And so David tells him, or uh, Saul tells him, you can't go fight this man. You're just a kid. And ever since he was a kid, he's been a man of war. So even if y'all were the same age, it still wouldn't have been the same. And, and Saul here is, is he, he's, in this, he's, he's in this narrative. He's in this story just long enough to offer some discouragement. 
And David, he's unfazed. And in 34, David begins his response. And it says, And David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him from, from its mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and, the uns, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And we're going we're gonna to stop right there, right before verse uh, 37, what David is saying. He's like, hey man, I don't know. God has kind of been preparing me right in the pasture. We talked about that last week. And, and when a lion or a bear came up and took one of the sheep, I went after him. And if that lion or bear tried to fight me, I think lost every time I struck him, I killed him. And if you're used to fighting lions and bears, maybe Goliath isn't all that great, all that terrible of an enemy. Right. But but if David had stopped right there, which we got verse 37, we're going to we're going to get to in just a minute. But if David had stopped right there, maybe Saul would have been like, yeah, David, that's cool and all. But this is not a lion. This is not a bear. This is a dude who is trained to to uh, in the art of warfare. This is a dude whose weapons and armors. And I have to say, with that rebuttal, there may be some fairness because if they were like Joey, we need you to go fight a lion, or we need you to go fight a bear. I'd be like, that's one thing, but we need you to go fight a lion who has armor and a spear, and he knows how to use it, and he's trained in warfare. That's a different thing, right? Like that's, I'm like, oh yeah, that that is genuinely a, a different animal, so to say, right? But here in verse 37, David reveals his cards. David puts his cards on the table and David reveals to us the source of courage, the, the source of, of sustained courage, of long-standing courage, even in the face of, of immeasurable odds. Verse 37, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine." David says, hey, I'm not giving my resume. I'm not saying, look at me. I have been trained to be this warrior. I'm saying, look at my God. I'm saying, look at the Lord. I'm saying, even though uh, I was able to defeat these lions and these bears, I was only able to because the Lord delivered them into my hand. And that's no different. There's nothing different about the Philistine. There's nothing different about Goliath. The Lord will deliver him into my hand as well. And David, David doesn't really have any of the sources of courage that Goliath does, right? We're going to see here in a minute where Saul offers him some armor, doesn't fit, can't really use it. He doesn't have the latest and greatest weapons. He doesn't have the, the applause of a nation. He doesn't have the size and the stature and, and the fierceness and the, and the warriorness. Remember, David's, a, David's like, a, uh, like a cute little kid. And I didn't mean to call him Davy, but uh, that's just kind of how it came out, right? David is a, is, is, is a cute little kid, and he doesn't have all these things. And, and what we're about to see is that, is that God, uh, with God, with the Lord, those are not the things that are needed, right? Not, not, for, not for real courage, Courage does not come from earthly things, for, for courage comes from the Lord. And whether or not David goes out and dies, this is true. Right? And so continue on in verse 38. 
Saul puts his armor on David. It's way too big. Saul's way bigger than David, right? It's way too big. David can't even move. He tries to move, and he can't. And says, and then David said to Saul in verse 39, um, I cannot go with these things, for I have not tested them. So David put them off, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in, the, in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So this is how David prepares for battle, right? Saul still didn't get it. Saul, Saul still tries to put the armor and the sword and everything and try to give him like the best chance possible to survive. And, and I don't know if we could really blame Saul for that. Maybe we would have done the same thing. But David says, hey, I'm going to use the tools that I'm actually familiar with, that I am trained with. I'm going to take my shepherd's staff because I know what to do with that bad boy. And I'm going to take my sling and I'm going to get my five smooth stones uh, with that sling that I've been that I've been practicing with out out in the fields. And David headed to battle with weapons that that had been tested. Right. And this this is where it kind of begins to to look like a, a bit of, a, of an action of an action movie, right? Because David goes to battle. We see the odds. We see the chances of survival. We see Goliath. We see David. And in verse 41, we, we, we get everything complete with trash talk, right? Goliath's going to do some trash talk. David's going to do some trash talk, which is like the Holy Spirit trash talking. So it, it's, it's actually really good. We're going to read that here in a minute. And, and so verse 41, it says, And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome. The same exact description of David that we got before. In verse 43, the Philistine said to, said to David, Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And so uh, Goliath is insulted. Goliath is absolutely insulted, and he says, am I a dog that you'd come with me with a stick? Because remember, David's standing there with a shepherd's staff, and he's like, you're going to come fight me with a stick. I am not a dog. And he curses David. And in, and in 44, the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. And so he's like, hey, if you want to come at me, bro, I'm just going to destroy you. And in verse 45... And on is where we get is where we get David defiantly standing against Goliath on the face of the Lord, on, on confidence that the Lord will deliver him. And, and what we're going to see is the outcome of the battle. So we're going to read, uh, we're going to read starting in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This Lord, the, uh, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. That's some pretty stout trash talk 
right? Because it's true, right? All the, the, what makes the Holy Spirit's trash talk so devastating is everything that he said is true. And he said, hey, my, my confidence, my abilities, they're not in sword and spear because that's not how the Lord operates. The Lord operates the fact that he is the king of kings, that, that he is the Lord of lords, and he will deliver whomever into whomever hands he pleases. And on this day, he will deliver you into my hand. And, and how we really know that, that the outcome of the battle is not exactly the point here is because the, the whole battle takes place in just a few sentences, starting in verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle where all of Israel had, had recoiled and ran away from the battle. David ran quickly towards the battle to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone, and the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And so, so the battle here is over. We have, we've had 47 verses of setting up the battle. We've had about 10 or 15 verses of David setting up where his confidence comes from and how he is going to defeat and go against the, uh, the, the giant Goliath. And in one verse, David sinks a stone, probably about three inches in diameter, maybe made out of granite or, or whatever stone is available kind of in that time, into his forehead, and, and Goliath falls to the ground. And you have to, you have to think that all of, of Philistia is, is just in disarray. And it says, so David, starting in verse 50, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. And David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it from his sheath and killed him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose and with a shout pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. And so the wounded Philistines fell on the way to Sharim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back chasing the Philistines and plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put it and put his armor in his tent. And so here we see, here we see that the runt has slayed the giant. David has slayed Goliath. And, and all of Philistia is in absolute disarray. And, and David goes and he picks up Goliath's sword. And it, and it may have even been humorous to see David wield the sword of Goliath. Maybe he could barely pick it up over his head, but he cuts off Goliath's head and, and he brings it back to Jerusalem. He takes Goliath's armor and he, and he puts it in his tent. And, and there, all the people of Israel, all of a sudden, they are courageous and they, and they pursue the Philistines and, and they slay them and they plunder their camps. And this is the part of the story that we're all familiar with, right? This is, this is that underdog story that you heard, even if you didn't grow up in church, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian or you don't believe the things of the Bible, you have heard this story, right? And, and, and audiences love this story. They love an underdog story. I love an underdog story. I love the Cinderella stories, you know, uh, that have been told kind of throughout history of, of the unlikely uh, accomplishing the impossible and 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 many of us kind of 
have heard this taught from, from that standpoint that, that you can do anything you want. It doesn't matter the odds. You have to believe in yourself and, and, and you can do it. And, and we love that storyline. And, and the people in the church and Christians, we're, we kind of think, well, that's, that's not exactly the point. And so a lot of us, what we do, maybe even unknowingly, maybe just because this is the way it's always been taught to you, is, is you kind of just baptize that same story in some spiritual language where you just attribute it to God. It's like, you can do anything you want in God, and you can just claim your victory from God. And, and we just attach the same kind of underdog story to God and say, all you have to do is claim your victory and God will hand it over to you. But that view of this story, that interpretation of what's going on here doesn't fit what we've been talking about, right? We've been talking about courage and we've been talking about the courage to, to, to live out uh, some, of the, some of the deepest and, and most terrifying things of the human condition. And, and, and this, this narrative of, of this is just an underdog story and, and overcoming odds, that doesn't seem to quite fit. It doesn't seem to quite answer, right, the most terrifying uh, aspects of, of the human condition. And, and, and when I was preaching that, I was getting kind of hype, right? And some of y'all let out that amen, but it was, it was a little bit early, right? This interpretation misses the point of the story of David and Goliath, not because David didn't overcome insurmountable odds. He did not because David wasn't the underdog, he, he, he was. And not because David's victory over Goliath was, was astonishing, it was, right? Where we go wrong and where maybe it has gone wrong before when you've heard this preach is that you identify as David in the story. But you're not David. Your problems are not Goliath. The stones that David picked up, the five stones are not some kind of program that you need to get on board with to take some steps to slay your problems, right? I have heard this preach like this, and, and I'm sure many of you have, but that's not it. Matter of fact, if, if you're anyone in the story, and I love you, brothers and sisters, and that's why I'm going to tell you this, if you're anyone in the story, you're Israel. You're hiding in your tent, and you are terrified, and you are cowering, and you are helpless. That's who we are in the David and Goliath story. Because once we, once we see the story properly, once we see who it properly points to, this begins to make sense, right? David was the unexpected representative of Israel. Everyone expected the king. Everyone expected, right, Saul, the, the, the manly, the fierce-looking warrior do, but David steps up and he represents Israel, right? His actions affect all of Israel. If he loses, all of Israel loses. If he wins, all of Israel wins, even though they didn't participate in the fight, right? And, and, and this is where the point of David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath begins to kind of come in focus. Just like Israel, we need a champion to represent us in a battle. We have no hope in winning. We need a representative who's greater than David to fight a giant greater than Goliath. And this story serves to point us to that representative, right? It serves to point us to Jesus Christ, his death, his life, his resurrection, which constitutes his battle with sin, 
right? Kind of, kind of our Goliath, the most, the most fundamental human problem. The problem behind all of your problems is sin and alienation from God, and we need a representative to fight that battle for us, for we are fearful, for we are helpless, and we are hopeless without that representative. And in this story, you're not David. Jesus is David. David points us to Jesus, right? Because Jesus is our unexpected uh, representative, right? Jesus was the one who fought uh, on our behalf while we stood on the sidelines and didn't and didn't do anything. Jesus was the one who was opposed by his brothers. Jesus was the one who was abandoned by his friend in his in his time of greatest needs. And Jesus was the one who, like David, uh, was the only one who actually believed the promises of God. And Jesus was the only one who actually ran onto the battlefield in in perfect confidence and perfect obedience uh, to God. And Jesus was the only one who, despite all of our fears and all of our failures and all of our disobedience, could actually become victorious and win the battle over, over our greatest giant sin and, and not and, and solve the alienation that we have from God. And, and today, right, today is representative of our champion's victory. Today, Easter Sunday, is where we celebrate the victory of our champion, Jesus Christ, over death, over the cross, over sin, over death. And just like the, and just like the Israelites were able to join in David's victory and follow and pursue and slay after David had, had slayed Goliath, we too can join in the victory that Jesus has over sin and death. We too can now be courageous, the type of courageous that is real, that is withstanding, that's not a burst of adrenaline, that's not the result of a hype man, that's not earthly, and that cannot be threatened, right? Because it was, it was our greatest giant who was slain, right, by Jesus so that we can go and, 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 and slay all these lesser giants. We are now enabled to do that because of the work of Jesus. And if, and if Jesus becomes our greatest treasure, then guess what? Nothing can threaten, no, nothing can threaten us ultimately at the end of the day, right? Nothing can threaten that, that treasure. Notice that a cancer diagnosis does not threaten Jesus, right? Um, a, a moral failure or, or coming to, to terms with, with your personal failures and, and in your broken relationships or, or, your, or your broken marriages or, or, uh, or, like I said, your moral failures, those things do not, do not threaten Jesus because those things, if you are in Christ, do not actually carry any condemnation. And you notice that this is the very source of of, of Paul's courage when he is able to, to say to live as Christ and to die is gain. If we share in, in Jesus' victory, nothing can threaten us. People may be able to, to capture us. People may be able to torture us. People may be able to kill us, but none of that threatens Jesus, and none of that threatens our standing before Jesus. So because of Jesus, I can, I can face all my shortcomings. 
I can face all my sin. I can face all my failure. Because of the work of Jesus, God smiles down on me. I can face the fiercest frowns. And so what, me, what we must do, what we must do is turn our eyes away from ourselves, turn our eyes away from the, the, from the size of our sin as, 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 great it is, as great it is and focus our eyes on Jesus, focus our, our eyes on, on our champion, focus our eyes on the size of grace, which is, which is far larger than, than the size of our sin. And we must marvel we must marvel at the courage of Christ and, 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 and marvel at, at, at who He is and, and what can be accomplished through Him. Because if we don't, if we don't do that church, if we don't do that soul for community church, if we don't do that individually, we are doomed to remain frightened in our tents as Israel was on that day. We are doomed to remain helpless, hiding from risk, and also hiding from the work of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we are thank you for uh, we are thankful for the the source of of courage that you have given us, Lord, for for the victory of sin that you have given to us through Christ, Lord, that that we can withstand whatever it may be, right? These are what those martyrs stood on. They stood on Christ's victory, not, not, um, not advantages that the world gave them, not having the debt, quote-unquote, stacked in their favor so that they're kind of guaranteed the win. But, Lord, they stood on you. They believed you. They believed in you. They believed your promises. And that produces a courage, Lord, where we can face anything, and Lord, we're thankful for David. We're thankful for his courage on that day. But Lord, we're thankful for the greater and more perfect David. We're thankful for Jesus Christ. And we're thankful that you have continually in every single chapter that we have turned, that we have studied, that we have preached, you have pointed us away from ourselves into your son, Lord. You have pointed us away from ourselves, uh, Lord, and toward you. And Lord, I pray that you continue to embolden us, that you continue to give us courage. Uh, Lord, the, the biblical form of courage that only has its uh, source in you, I pray that you continue to manifest that in our church, Lord, in our churches, in our cities, Lord, uh, and in us individually. And Lord, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in your holy and precious name because of the work of your son that we are reminded of on this day in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.